This program is intended for mature audiences only. Altitude adjustment may contain language, images, or other content that some may find offensive. Your discretion is advised. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. LASF. Good afternoon. I'm Leon Davis, and you're listening to Altitude Adjustment, the twice a week podcast about people, politics, and professions. And we have um, a guest that I am really excited uh, to have with me this afternoon. So I'm going to introduce you first. Uh, welcome to the show, Mary Roach. Thank you so much. So, so how you how the, the we came about to be inviting you to the show. I was on the internet and I do a lot of, uh, so I do all of the in invitations for the guests on the, on the podcast. And uh, I, I do a lot of news because we, we mostly talk a lot of politics and news here. And, and I ran across this video and it was your TED talk. And I'm sure you've talked about that ad nauseum, but <laughs> it was about the, uh, it was your TED talk. And uh -huh. I thought, wow, I wonder if she's really still doing, you know, video, books and stuff. So I went to your website um, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. And I, I just sent in a request to, to have you come on the show and, and here you are. So thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I'm glad you stumbled onto my TED Talk. Yeah, as you can imagine, I got a lot of <laughs> interesting email after that TED Talk. <laughs> yes. So, so let me start with, we're going to, uh, one of the things that, um, that you're here for is that you recently released a new book. That's right. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, my new book, uh, <clears throat> has to do, it's called fuzz when nature breaks the law. And obviously, you know, the laws are <clears throat> written for humans. So animals can't this material can't is being really presented via copyright disclaimer it, under section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowances made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, new reporting, teaching scholarship, education, and, and you know, research. If, fair use is a use permitted by copyright really statute that otherwise might be infringing. So, you know, what do you do? So all praises to the most high, Yahweh, Bahawah, Shem, Yahweh, One quick question. Uh, Are you people still falling for this engineer crisis, aka so, uh, this pandemic? Can we do to prevent these conflicts and resolve these conflicts? So that's kind of what the book's about. So um, uh, your, your publicist sent me a, a pre-release copy. And one of the things that I have a difficulty with, um, when people talk about things, they, they say too much. They tell, they give away everything. And so since, yes. I, since I've already read the book, I'm, I would like to, I want to make sure I don't say too much, but one of the things like, like you mentioned in introducing the book is that you talk about um, people and their interaction with animals and um, you, you go a little further. So I learned something. Okay, there we go. Uh, I learned something by reading the book, and I and I'm kind of saddened that I didn't haven't read more of your books, but it was it was more than it was kind of uh, contemporary stuff too. Like uh, uh, 
how the animals are being impacted by global warming and uh, you know what what people are doing and not doing to help um, preserve wildlife so uh, you know tell me a little bit about that and 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 how that came about I guess <clears throat> sure well um, uh, the, the one thing that, that I came across with uh, that had to do with the temperature going up global warming is that uh, bears, black bears, you know, we have a lot of black bears out west. Well, actually out east, there's a bunch of them too. And uh, normally when it gets cold, they hibernate, you know, partly because everything's frozen. They can't get to the food that they'd normally get. So na they, nature gave them this kind of great ability to just go kind of like snooze. They're not entirely asleep, but they're, you know, they're just out of it for the coldest months. But now with the temperature rising, so there was a study done and they found that uh, for every two degrees warmer, the hibernation period shrinks by about a week. So that's uh, an, an extra week that the bears are going to be out on the land looking for food, getting all up in people's business. So uh, and if you project out to like 2050, that, uh, it's going to be more than a month shorter. So that's so a lot more bears out on the land uh, as the temperature you know, for longer periods as the temperature goes up. So, so that's uh, uh, one aspect of global warming that's, uh, that affects wildlife. And of course that affects uh, the people because, you know, the bears, when, you know, bears, their ranges are expanding and our ranges, you know, we're moving out into the suburbs and into the rural areas. And um, so we tend, we're, we're running into each other more and more, you know, people and bears. And uh, bears, when they see, oh, there's, you know, person there, if somebody leaves their garbage unsecured or they leave, even if they like left the barbecue grill uncleaned, so it kind of smells like, smells delicious, mm -hmm. that kind of, that attracts bears. And uh, when bears start getting, and they'll, it's very easy for a bear to break into a house. They got these, their claws are very strong. They can just pop the door right out of the frame. And sometimes they'll just, they'll pop it all out and they'll just carefully lay it aside, lean it against the house and go on in and they'll go up the stairs and they go right to the fridge and they'll open it up. They can open up, bears are pretty good at opening up almost any kind of door handle, like French door handles, just push it down, shove the door in, automatic doors, they love those. <laughs> anyway, so they'll, they go right into the kitchen, open the fridge and just, you know, chow down. So uh, that is a, a situation where people get upset. You know, their house was damaged. Uh, sometimes they call, you know, they call it in to parks and wildlife it is in Colorado. And um, what usually happens if it's a bear that keeps breaking into houses, you know, that's a kind of public safety threat. So they'll set a trap and that animal, uh, that usually the animal gets uh, put down, killed. Mm -hmm. So, wow. so you know, it's, um, it's important for people to kind of try not to attract the bears uh, because the, the outcome is kind of sad for the bears. So um, anyway, so, but it's a challenge because uh, people <laughs> forget. And also a lot of these places in the mountains where, where bears are, uh, there are a lot of vacation rentals. So people come from out of town and they don't really know, they don't know from bears, you know, they're just there to ski. So they don't lock up the garbage or they don't lock the door. They leave dog food on the deck. The bears come in and the whole cycle starts. So it's, a, it's kind of a challenge. You know, there's laws about it, but people that nobody enforces them. Uh, so, well, rarely, 
the, the laws get enforced. So uh, the problem persists and, uh, you know, it's, it's sad for the bears. It's safer for everyone if the bears and the people just stay a little bit distant. You know, you can see them in the distance, but when they get right up in your yard and in your kitchen, <laughs> right, that's a problem. Yeah. So uh, one of you guys had a quick, quick, quick question. Bears. What are the uh, other big problem animals? Well, most most problem animals are animals that like to chow down on agricultural crops. I think the, the most, you know, in terms of the biggest damage that's done by animals, uh, for example, in the book, I talk about the, in North and South Dakota, they grow sunflower seeds, you know, huge farms of sunflowers. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's bird seed. So, and, and that these the North and South Dakota are right in the migration path of millions of blackbirds and cowbirds and grackles and crows. So they're just like, hey, check it out, sunflower seed restaurant, bird seed. <laughs> so they just come down and they, because it's bird seed, you know, you're, it's got, you, these are birds and it's bird seed. So uh, a lot of money goes into trying to solve that problem. And it used to be they just tried to kill as many as they can, but you're talking, you know, tens of millions of blackbirds. You just can't make a dent, a meaningful dent in that population. And it, it works much better to do things like uh, if you can get the sunflowers to dry and be ready for harvest earlier before the migrating birds show up, that helps. Uh, or like if you're growing sunflowers, don't put your field next to a cattail marsh because that's where the birds like the nest. So like just kind of getting to know the birds, get to know the animal and figure out it, understand its behavior and what it's doing and when it's doing it, you mm. can try to kind of avoid that. So, uh, you know, and obviously rodents in agriculture are a big problem too. Um, but in terms of people in their, you know, people in their yards, it's a lot of like, if you're grow growing food, if you have fruit trees, you know, you're probably going to have uh, raccoons and squirrels and roof rats and possums because they're all just passing through. And uh, there's lots of things you can do to kind of, you know, make sure they don't get into your house. That's that's the main thing. Or, or you know, uh, also people who have chickens in the backyard, uh, sometimes they have problems with foxes and um, or even predator uh, like hawks coming down. So, but that, you know, that you can deal with by making a better, you know, chicken, like a nighttime enclosure, just, mm -hmm. you know, you just sort of beef, beef up the defenses, you know? So um, there's lot, there's lots of stuff you can do to kind of prevent things from getting real bad. Leonard? <clears throat> yeah, I like when you talk about the black bears, I learned more about black bears from reading the excerpts of your book than I knew beforehand. But you called you called the uh, bears the dumpster diving is a gateway crime. You 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 describe it as a gateway crime. <laughs> That's it is. It's it's true. They start out with the in the dumpsters right and then they're like you know this human food it's really good and there's lots of it in these dumpsters what if i could break into that car or that house there might be more there so they start out with a well you know a dumpster and then they move on 
Uh, and, and what happens with black bears is, you know, they, they start out being a little nervous, a little shy, and then they realize, oh, you know what? I got away with that. That's, that didn't seem to be a problem. These people seem to be uh, not, not too much of a problem. I'm going to break into the house. And then eventually there's cases in Colorado where I was reporting the book. There's instances where uh, people are home sitting at the dining room table and the bear just comes through the door, grabs something off the table and then leaves. So it, it gets bolder and bolder and a little more aggressive. So uh, and, and, and that, you know, that escalates to the point where people are going to be, you know, calling it in and then and the authorities come out and trap it. But um, yeah, dumpster dive. It starts with the the dumpster diving. That's the gateway. Yeah, it's your gateway crime. <laughs> so, so, the, so the bears are actually a lot smarter than we give them credit for. They are really smart. They are. They they will figure. They like the building code in these areas uh, have a lot of bears. You're not allowed to. You're not supposed to use French doors because mm -hmm. they can just push them down, push them in. <clears throat> also, if um, like a hollow doorknob, they just grab it in their teeth, crush it, and turn it with their head, and then push the door in. So that you're not supposed to do those either. Of course, people don't read the building code. They're all DIY in it. So, um, but the, 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 they, are real, they are really smart. They figured out, apparently in some parts of the Sierras here in California, you know, it used to be when you go camping, you put your food in a bear bag and you know, string it up in a tree, throw a rock over and hoist it up. They've somehow figured out that, like they figured out how to get that down. So now you have to use like a bear canister, which is a big heavy thing that is a real pain in the butt if you're going backpacking. But anyway, they, um, they do, they do, they figure it out. And they also, apparently they'll, they'll open the refrigerator. This one guy from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, he said, they'll, they'll reach in, they'll just pick up a carton of eggs, set it aside. He said, there was one bear that opened up a Hershey's kiss to get at the chocolate it's <laughs> which I found hard to believe but he swore it was true so yeah they're they're pretty smart Warren uh, yeah. did you have anything Warren? so uh, yeah I, I got to watch I didn't get to read the book but I got to watch some of the uh, videos that you had and yeah. uh, two of the main topics you seem to cover were uh, food and digestion type of stuff and then you got into the sex studies and stuff like that mm -hmm. I found some of those very interesting so did you actually work with masters and johnson or just oh, study no masters and johnson were uh, more in the um 50s and 60s okay. so and i i, wow. I know i know i'm old but i'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old um they Masters of Johnson, they, yeah, they were like the first to really bring human beings into a laboratory setting and, and to like study the physiology of the sexual response. So for, to do that in the like the fifties and early sixties was a pretty brave thing, you know, the, mm -hmm. cause then they got a lot of, they said they had to hire an extra secretary to handle all the hate mail that they got. <laughs> from people uh, who just didn't think that it was appropriate to, to look at sex as a, a part of uh, the human physiology. But of course it is. I mean, without sex, there's no conception and fertility. I mean, it's all, it's all part of the, the, the human system, but it was never studied until, and this is like the, you know, the 1950s. There were people who try to 
study it, but uh, you know, Masters and Johnson, they're, they're they actually they got right in there. Like they invented uh, this camera, and this is right around the time of like fiber optics when they first were, you know, like the colonoscopy thing. That's fiber optics where you can see inside the body. It was like the early days of that, and they came up with this kind of um, phallus with a camera that the that women would come into the lab and they would have sex with this penis camera that was filming the inside of their body, which was for the time that they were doing it, unbelievable, you know, very, very brave undertaking. And I don't know how they got anybody to be a subject, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who signed up, but they got people. And this was, this was, um, um, Washington university, isn't that near St. Louis? So So they're right. Mm-hmm. They were right in your backyard, right? Uh, yeah. And, and uh, they're both they both passed away by now. Um, but uh, Johnson was still alive when I worked on the book, but she was quite old, and um, she I think she was a little out of it by then, and so I didn't get to talk to her. And I I, I was like, where is the penis camera? That machine is should be in the Smithsonian. It was a historic yeah. thing. You'd think. It, it, you would think, right? <laughs> it it's nowhere. I could not track it down. I could not find it. Apparently, it was in a box somewhere. And uh, apparently, Dr. Masters, uh, his wife liked to move a lot to different houses, and they apparently lost it. Who loses a penis camera? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So that book is about bonk. That's all about the the challenges of doing uh, research on human, the physiology of of sex. So that was a fun one. One other thing on uh, I saw on a video where you discussed um, having a colonoscopy being awoke, and I have to get one every year, and I've never even thought about that. What was that experience like? Yeah, uh, yeah, you got to wonder what's wrong with me because I, <laughs> you know, I, I did because I, I went in. Okay, first you have to. Here's the first thing you need to know. My doctor is at UCSF Medical Center. Hmm. His name is Doctor. Turdeman. <laughs> that's his oh. name. <laughs> Honest to God, that's his name, John, Jonathan Turdeman. And, and I, when I went in, I said, so he, he said, he tells me what's going to happen. And he goes, so do you have any questions for me? And I said, just one. How many times a day does somebody make a comment about your name? And he goes, what do you mean? Uh, so uh, yeah so anyway because i was working on this book about you know everything from the nose to the butt you know the tube you know sort of this uh you know kind of quirky look at all the different stops along the way i told him i kind of want to see what the inside of my colon and my intestine look like well just the colon not the small they only go they don't go up to the small part do they anyway whatever's in well however far they went i wanted to see right right. because i'm working on a book so he's like okay you asked for it (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um and and apparently the the smaller your waist um the smaller your your build there's you know everything's packed in there more tightly so and they had to go around the corners and when they stretch the, the colon like it doesn't feel pain. You can burn off a polyp or anything and you don't need right. anesthesia, but when you stretch it, 
that's when it hurts. So there was a lot of stretching going on. So I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then go around a corner and then it'd be okay. And then you go around another corner and I'd be like, ah! <laughs> but uh, I got through it, you know, what is it? Five minutes. So, but I'm due for uh, my uh, next one uh, next month. And uh, I believe I'll be having the drugs. <laughs> when, you, when you were, when you were going through that and you were saying, you know, you know, what's five minutes. I was like, I have never been awake through one of those, so <laughs> I haven't had to deal I, with it. Yeah. I thought about it, but after this, I changed my mind. <laughs> that's something. Yeah. That's something I don't want to be awake for. <laughs> but you know, you saying that just reminded me of one time uh, we were on a call. It was a woman, pregnant, obvious. I forgot what it's called, but she was obviously going to have her baby. And we put on the ambulance and she said, let me see your hand. She reached out and grabbed my hand before I realized what's going on. Now, this woman couldn't have been no more than about 120 pounds ringing wet. But boy, she had a force because one of them contractions happened. She had a force in that hand. It brought 300 pounds me down to my knees. <laughs> and I said, okay, I made that mistake once. I won't make that mistake again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think a colonoscopy is that is that bad. Yeah, I, no. I think you, I think, you'd be, and I think if you're, you know, if you're, if you're bigger around, I mean, I, I have talked to people who've done it. Uh, men, I think men have less trouble because they're, you know, they're generally bigger than women uh, through the waist, and there's more room for your guts. So it's not that it's not yeah. that bad. But I've heard mm -hmm. that the propofil they give you propofil, and mm -hmm. I heard that that's like you come right out of it and you you don't even. You're ready to roll you know it's, it's not like they, they used to be had to kind of like sleep it off and the whole mm -hmm. you know you're drowsy for a while but uh i think the, i think the newer stuff is uh is better anyway I, i'm gonna i'm gonna have the drugs <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you on that i'm gonna have drugs but uh thinking about what you said about the bears earlier how they're smart and i guess adapt uh, I was reading where you said the black bears, they, they, they came up with this uh, policy of relocation. Yes. And that these grown bears, one bear went 142 miles to get back to his home ground. Another bear went, uh, did a six mile ocean swim. Yeah. To get back to his home ground. I'm just like, these bears are no joke. They're no <laughs> I joke. Know they <laughs> I didn't know they were that smart and, and they adapt. Yeah. I did not know that. That was amazing to me too. I mean, that, that 142 mile one, you know, that's like the record. That's like the Guinness record. Uh, but they do. Uh, this material uh, is being presented via back, copyright like disclaimer under section miles, 107 no of the Copyright Act of 1976. Kind of, Allowance like, is know, made for fair kind of use for purposes internal, such as criticism, know, comment, new reporting, teaching scholarship, kind of education, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that otherwise might be infringing. All praises to the Most High Yahweh, Shem One quick question. Uh, I hear the sound of an airport, so maybe that's I'm going to head for that, or mm -hmm. else to just keep wandering until they recognize the landscape because they are really good at recognizing their hometown. But uh, mm -hmm. nobody really knows how they do it, but it's it's amazing. I mean, if you took me and you dropped me off 152 miles from my house uh, without mm -hmm. my phone, <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't think I'd be able to find my way back. That's for sure. 
So yeah, it, it's it is really impressive, and that's why um, you know it's an it's it's a nice thing to try if you have a bear that's causing problems. You know, to try to just put it further out in the woods, and I, they you know, a lot of the most of the wildlife agencies will try that. But uh, the other thing that is uh, a, a sometimes a problem is that you say you take them 150 miles or wherever, and then the closest town, they kind of wander into that town. They're like, oh, look, more houses, <laughs> more refrigerators. Right. And then they start getting into trouble in the new town, which, uh, and if somebody gets hurt or killed in that new town, the agency yeah. that transported the bears, now they're liable right because they put the bear the problem bear in this other place so it's it's not such a popular uh strategy but it is nice to give them a sec you know a second chance sure. rather than whacking them right yeah, yeah. so an another interesting oh i'm sorry mm, go ahead go ahead another interesting thing i found in your book you were talking about plants and them having uh prioritizing a plan for their demise the difference between a drought and a wet season, oh, where yeah. in a drought, they spread more seed trying to get more plants to grow. In the wet season, then they obviously go into, okay, growth mode. Mm -hmm. We're just, we're, we're more interested in growing. That's right. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I, yeah. I had no idea that plants yeah. did that. Right. 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 It's like they knew, okay. It's been pretty dry and I'm I'm not doing very well. I better spread my seed now while I still can. So, you know, you wouldn't you'd think that the most and, and, and this was, you know, talking about, you know, uh, the bear, you know, bears. They were trying to figure out why do we have more bear issues one season versus another. And I was saying, oh, is it because it's been, you know, because it's been raining, that there's a lot more for them to eat. And he was saying, actually. When it's when it's dry, that really dry, that's when you sometimes get a lot of the seeds and acorns and all the fruit, you know, the reproductive mm -hmm. material of the plant, because the plant senses that this is its last chance. Whereas, yeah, when it's when it's rainy, it's just like, oh, I'm just going to do a lot of growing. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that. I had no idea. Yeah. So you're a um, when did you realize you were fun? <laughs> Oh, gosh, you know, I think of myself as I'm funny on the page, but I don't think of myself as very funny in person. My husband is hilarious. He's always the one making people laugh, you know, at dinner parties mm -hmm. and things. Um, I, I, I'm I think uh, I don't know if I have realized. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you know, it works on the page. Like if, I think what I do is I, I kind of put myself in situations that seem like there'll be some absurdities or kind of weird things that will be fun to write up. You know, like for the bonk book, it was, you know, my husband and I were subjects in a study, which was incredibly awkward, but I knew that'd be really funny to write about because it's so, it was so awkward and embarrassing. Um, so I, you know, I just, I just have a sense of uh, what kinds of things to include in the books that have kind of the potential to be fun. But I'm, you know, if you had to put me on stage and have me do a comedy set, I would bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sure. I, I, I thought that bomb. you were pretty good in that TED talk. I, I mean, uh, you know, you, you just oh. seemed to flow. You seemed real comfortable up there. You know, the microphone just you seemed to be a part yeah. of you. Oh, so, well, thanks. The, the, well, that again, that was that was the material. You know, I had just this crazy, weird material that I'd found that I was able to present. Uh, but 
uh, but thank you. Yeah, that was fun. That yeah. the TED talk was was fun to do. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and that the, was a great talk. Yeah, for me the so uh, I don't know if you you get a lot of this, but you know John Stewart is like a comedy god, and your talks with, yes. with John Stewart were really good, really good. So oh, yeah, well that's John Stewart because that that guy you sit down with him and you just know it's going to be funny. Like he's going to you don't have anything in your head. You got no preconceptions about this is a joke I'm going to tell or anything. You just sort of look him in the eye and you know he's just going to take you somewhere fun because he is so quick. He's just you know such yeah. a quick uh, and there's such a fun back and forth. You know he's a he's a very welcoming, giving kind of funny. So uh, I miss him, boy. I really miss being able to do that show. Were you gonna yeah. say something, Warren? Well, I was I, a little more detail on the Bonk book. What what was the uh, main subject there? Well, it was about uh, the challenges of of studying human sexual physiology as a science, like bringing people into a laboratory as subjects. And so some of it was historical because for centuries, nobody would study like orgasm or intercourse or any of that. And, and there were people, people would, there was this one guy, the first guy to really uh, take this on was this guy, Robert Latou Dickinson, who was like turn of the last century. He was a, a gynecologist and an obstetrician. And he said he would have, have people come in like saying, I, 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 we can't get pregnant. You know, I, um, my wife and I can't get pregnant. And he'd say, well, tell me what you're doing. And as it would turn out, like, because nobody talked about sex, nobody was watching porn, nobody, it was so kind of taboo. Uh, some of these people would be, would be like, actually, you know, he'd have to say, you didn't actually get inside. You have to go inside the vagina. <laughs> they were just like at the door <laughs> and like, didn't know. They didn't know, like they'd have to say to the woman, you know, it helps if you put your legs apart. <laughs> like people just didn't, you know, in certain parts of society, people were kind of so uptight that they, they didn't know, and they didn't have anybody to turn to. Like nobody would talk about sex and nobody would talk to their doctor about sex. And so they're just like, I don't know. I, I mean, this is, it's kind of hard to imagine that this is the case, but it was uh, that people would just, um, not know what they were doing and, and consequently not be able to get pregnant. So, uh, it, you know, it was important that somebody uh, just be out with it, talk about it, study it. And also because there's so much, you know, sexual dysfunction and sexual dissatisfaction, you know, they, it was, right. I think it was important for, I mean, Masters and Johnson's were, were the ones that really broke it open. They wrote put this book out called Human Sexual Response, which is based on those all the work they did, including the penis camera, but uh, mostly with people coming in and documenting like the stages of arousal and orgasm. And they wrote this book and they put it out and they were very formal and scientific, but it was, um, you know, it was the, they were the first to do it and they kind of broke the, the taboo down. So then, you know, people could talk about it a little bit more. They could talk to their doctor if they didn't, if they were having problems. So it was kind of a heroic thing that they did. Uh, I think so. So it's about that. And also, you know, the, just the challenges of, of trying to do that work and, and just some of the different aspects of it. Okay. Leonard? Well, I was reading. Yes, I was uh, reading in your bio 
about your award for the uh, American Engineering Society of Journalism Award. <laughs> and then there was some on there. Of course, I would get the award because I was the only sole entrant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that I, I got my editor said, Oh my God, you got this award. Uh, I, you know, he had entered me. I didn't know anything about this journalism award okay. from the Society of Engineers. And they had this banquet, right? And yeah. uh, I forget where I, I went to get my prize. And I'm sitting at the table with the guy who organized this. And he's sitting next to me. And I said, and my category was um, general interest magazine. Like in other words, a piece that wrote about engineering in a popular general audience magazine. So I said, oh, and how many entrants did just making conversation, you know, over the chicken, the crappy chicken. <laughs> and I'm like, so how many entrants did, did you have in that category? He doesn't even look up from his chicken. He goes, just the one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Brutal, brutal. So, but it was hilarious, you know. Okay. Uh, I saw all the things that you wrote for all these different magazines and uh, news periodicals or whatever. Uh, what was one of your favorite ones to write for? What's, you know, just give us one that you love writing for. You mean the magazine or the story? Uh, the magazine. Oh, the I magazine. Mean, which, yeah. Which magazine did you love writing for? Oh, I loved writing for this magazine it doesn't exist anymore but it was a magazine about health and medicine which sounds like it'd be a little bit maybe dull but they had they were like open to however i wanted to do a story for example they'd go well we should do a story about we need to do something about weight loss so you know could you come up with something so i would because i loved to travel back in my 20s i just would take any opportunity to go somewhere far flung so I'd kind of poke around on, on um, do we have the internet then? Maybe. Anyway, um, I, I was like, okay, weight loss. What if I go to Tokyo and, and, and I find out how do the sumo wrestlers gain weight? Because when you become a sumo wrestler, you need to gain weight fast. So I was like, whatever the sumo wrestlers do, we'll tell people do the opposite. Because <laughs> it turns out the sumo, <laughs> they're like, okay. So it ended up being this article about um, meal patterning, uh, like sumo wrestlers, they don't eat any breakfast and then they eat a, they, they don't eat any breakfast and then they do all their workout and their training and then they eat a big lunch and then they sleep. And they believe that is the reason they gain weight so easily. It's like, you, you know, so they're working out on an empty stomach. I think in the end, I can tell you why the sumo wrestlers gain weight because at around nine o'clock at night, me and four sumo wrestlers went to McDonald's and these guys got like three teriyaki McBurgers, four large fries, two shakes, like one you know, for each guy. So I'm telling you, that's probably why mm -hmm. they gained weight, not the pattern in the time of day, but they had this whole thing about, well, you know, don't eat anything all morning and then do the exercise and then eat and sleep. And I'm like, yeah. And then at nine o'clock go to McDonald's. So, but that, you know, that kind of story was really fun for me. I would just try to find uh, a really interesting place to go and a different take on things. And they were really open to that. And they had an expense budget, which was great as long as I stayed in a cheap, you know, 
Japanese in. Uh, you know, I had, I had an expense budget. It was, it was limited, but I didn't care. I traveled really cheaply back then, and it was just a lot of fun. So you traveled quite that a bit. McDonald's. But I wonder what they ate before McDonald's, because they've been doing that for centuries. Yeah, they, yes, that's a good question. They have this uh, traditional, it's called chanko nabe, and it's uh, a big, it's this great big pot. It's a stew with a lot of stuff in it. And um, mm. that's the traditional thing that they eat. And then tamago, which is that sweet egg dish, they had that on the side. And, uh, and, and because uh, the, the, when you get brought into a sumo stable, they call it, you're, when you're a new recruit, you have mm. to cook for all the other sumo wrestlers. So when these guys retire, they often open up restaurants because they know how to do that. They know how to make stuff for, you know, 20, 20 big men. So they're, um, they, I thought that was interesting. They often become uh, chefs and open their own restaurants. But yeah, that they, is a traditional, it's called uh, chanko nabe and it's delicious. I had, I had some when I was there. I can't remember everything that's in it, but it's a big hearty mm -hmm. stew kind of thing in a big bowl. And they all sit around in a circle, cross-legged, eating the, eating that and, and with various dishes on the side too. Sure. And then later go to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> so you do a, a lot of traveling. So I imagine you, uh, you know, have had to adjust to a lot of different cultures to be able to complete your stories. What are some of the more um, colorful um, cultures that you've had to work through? Well, one thing that it was a, a bit of a challenge was in both in Japan and also I was up in the Arctic with uh, some uh, Inuit people. And in both of those cultures, people don't say no. If you ask for, if you say, I'd like to uh, go out with you on your snowmobile to see that polar bear, which I, I said, and, and, and this guy would never, he never said no. He'd go, maybe later. I'd be like, okay. And then I, I come back. So what about, what about going out to look at those polar bears? Yeah, maybe, maybe tomorrow. You know, he, he, he wouldn't say no. And I'm the kind of person, I'm very persistent. So I just kept, and then somebody took me aside and said, he's trying to say no. <laughs> and the same thing uh, in, in Japan, I had a similar situation where, where people don't want to be the bearer of bad news or, or say no. And, and if you, if you are in that culture, you, you know, that you can mm -hmm. kind of read between the lines, mm -hmm. but I'm like the bumbling American. I'm like, well, it seems like, seems like it ought to work. I don't know. I'm just going to ask him again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that was, that's, that took a little getting used to I'm trying to think of other cultures. Uh, those are the two that come to mind. So um, I'm trying to think of any. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, I, I didn't give you more time to think, but uh, I'm going to push you on to the next issue, I guess. Uh, yes. Yes. What I liked, what I found interesting about your book. So this, because it being the first book of yours that I read, I didn't it had it had footnotes. It had a bibliography at the end of it um, and so that I can, you know, if I want to do a little bit of research, I can see where you did that story. Is that, is that how all of your books are? I always have a bibliography that just, it's just sources. Yeah. If somebody wants to follow up and, you know, learn more, uh, I just want them to see where I got my information. Lots of times the information 
comes from the person I visited, you know, the researcher or scientist who I spent time with. So lots of times it's from, you know, it's from the conversation with them. But but uh, if there's books or it's often journal articles, uh, I'll put those in the bibliography just if people want to follow up and get more information. But the footnotes in my book are just me having fun. It's usually funny, weird stuff I stumbled onto that mm -hmm. doesn't quite fit into the paragraph. And I just stick it into a footnote. So there, yeah. that's, I think there's people who just read my footnotes and never read the rest of the book. <laughs> Pretty well, sure was, my agent does that. <laughs> and then now that you mentioned the agent, that, I thought that was... Uh, so has things changed for you in this new world of... of internet publishing and, you know, people doing, uh, publishing their own books and that kind of stuff. How, how does, how has that impacted you? Obviously you haven't decided to change, but, but how has that impacted yeah. you? Well, um, my entire book tour this time, uh, is with it with, I think one exception, all of the events are on zoom and all of the interviews are it's so, so I'm doing a lot of what I'm doing right now. Uh, and that has been very different. Normally, when I when a book comes out, I go around, I go to you know five or six cities doing events at you know with signings, and I give talks and I meet people. And so I'm not doing any of that because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's it's been I miss me I miss meeting people in person. You know, signing books and talking to people who like my books is really kind of gratifying to you know meet the people who are reading the stuff that you work on for several years is really a kind of a lovely moment a lovely part of the process so i miss that but what i don't miss is the uh you know getting up at 4 a.m to get a flight to go to the next city and i mean it gets kind of tiring mm -hmm. all of the travel so it's kind of a luxury to just you know open up my laptop and sure. do the event <laughs> so uh, it's kind of a mixed bag, but you know, the, um, I can't, uh, I can't do the kind of reporting that I do. I, I can't do that through zoom or, or where, whatever platform it is. I, I still need to go be in person and hang around and have the experience. So I'm hoping to get back to that, uh, in a couple months, um, hoping this Delta thing kind of peters out. You know, I mean, I will go out on the road. I mean, I, I got my vaccine and I'm, you know, I hope not to get COVID, but uh, it, it's just a risk I'm going to have to take. I got to get back out in the world <laughs> at some point, you know, it's got to happen. So it's been a weird year. I, I can understand that. Do you mm -hmm. think um, COVID will pop up in some future books? Mm -hmm. No, you know how many books just came out about COVID? Literally eight <laughs> books I saw, a, a list. So here's the top look, books about the pandemic. So no, no, it's not gonna, not gonna be me. Not okay. gonna be me. No, I mean, it's it's a really interesting topic, but uh, I'm gonna let somebody else handle it. Also, it's, it's kind of, you know, the immune system and virology and epidemiology, it's kind of, uh, I don't have any, it, it's too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so somebody else can do that one. I see. How about um, how about uh, none of have any of your books been considered for movies or um, that type of stuff? Mm. Well, they've they've been optioned for usually for a TV thing, and they were packing for Mars, which was about the uh, 
challenges of living in space, you know, as a, mm -hmm. as a human being who evolved to live on this planet, you know, you put people up in space and, you know, it's, it's crazy what happens to the human body and also the psychological issues. So there was this, uh, some production company in Hollywood, the people who did the Cleveland show and um, mm. Family Guy, I think those shows, that writing team wrote a pilot for this really funny comedy, like a workplace comedy set at a space agency. And it was hilarious. It actually didn't have very much to do with, with my book, but they were saying inspired by, Mm -hmm. And that was exciting and they did the pilot and it was really funny and it went through all the stages. And then at the last minute, somebody at NBC said, I don't like astronauts. So it got, <laughs> it got cut, didn't make the cut all that time. They spent all that time. And I mean, they were paid for their time. That's the nice thing about being screenwriter. They uh, pay you for your time. But uh, even if, even if it doesn't become a TV show. So that was the closest I ever got. Cause the, you know, they don't, my books don't really have a, through line like a plot that lends right. itself to mm -hmm. uh, a movie i mean i wish they did that'd be pretty great there have been a couple you know they get optioned uh, i'd say 10 times somebody's done an option and nothing nothing ever came of it of yeah and i would not that's got to be a frustrating business to be in you know so sure. many projects that start and you people work on them and then they go nowhere and once it gets rejected like packing for mars that that you know that one there was all this talk about Mars lately, you know, Elon Musk and uh, the Martian, the movie with Matt Damon. And I was like, you guys should resurrect that pilot, take it back out. He's like, nope, it's got the taint. Once it's been, once it's been rejected, it, 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 forget it. You can never send it back out, which mm -hmm. I thought was brutal. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you mean you yeah. can't even send it to a, another uh, outfit to look at it or something like that? They can't tell the, the, the people who, you know, produced it, um, the people have already looked at it. They won't look at anything another time. They're like, oh, we saw that. You know, I mean, I think they could have you know, maybe tried to send it out to other places, but I think it's known, like they somehow they know that it's made the rounds and it's been rejected. Mm -hmm. And so it's got, you know, it's been branded. Yeah. Loser. Yeah. <laughs> Black yeah, exactly. So yeah, we had a, too bad. But so we yeah, had so a, no. I'm yeah. sorry. About, uh, someone, um, posted a, a comment said, have you thought about a book regarding people smuggling? Oh, you know, some, uh, um, there's a book I think called, is it called Coyote? But it's by Ted Conover and he spent like a year at the border um, writing about uh, people who smuggle people over the border. I haven't read it, but he's a really good writer and he tends to just live that world for like a, a period of time. And uh, that's supposed to be really good. I, I have not read it, but anyway, um, it's, a, it's a good idea, but I think that one has been done mm -hmm. and done really well. It's, it's a in, really interesting kind of wrenching topic. Yeah, like those the Haitians right now under the overpass and is that Texas? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Leonard, you have something? Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm just looking at it. You said that your husband was a funny person. He, how much of your material do you get from him to put in your book, or do you use them at all for that purpose? 
I, I have used him, for example, in Bonk. He mm -hmm. had to perform in a way, I don't want to give anything away, but if you read the book, you'll see what a terribly awkward thing I had him do. He <laughs> is a very good sport. He um, ends up in the book in various spots just because of the awkward positions I put him in. For example, for Packing for Mars, I had a chapter about um, how the astronauts, you know, on a trip to Mars are going to have to recycle urine and, and make drinking water out of it. Yeah. And they can do that. They can do it. And you wouldn't even know. Okay. You wouldn't mm. even know. So as I know, right. As part <laughs> of that, I recycled some of my urine to take down to the interview at NASA Ames. And I had the researcher do the same. We were going to go to the cafeteria and with our lunch, we'd have our urine. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> So I put it in, I put it in the night before, I put it in the refrigerator in a, like a mineral water bottle jar, in you know, like bottle. And my husband goes, what is this? And I said, well, that's my recycled urine. And he's like, you put it in the refrigerator? Couldn't you just put it out on the deck? Oh my God. And I said, I, and I, I tried to explain, you know, they, it's actually, you know, it's, it's been filtered and they've done reverse osmosis or whatever the hell they did. And it's really drinkable. And, and he goes, I would, I would never drink my own urine. And I said, come on, you would, he said, it would have to be apocalyptic. <laughs> so anyway, he's definitely in that scene in packing for Mars. And, and I used to write a column for Reader's Digest like a humor uh -huh. column mm -hmm. and all the best lines were Ed's all. You know, it, it, I mean, he, he was in there every single column and it would, it would have, I should have just called it life with Ed because all the, <laughs> all the best lines were his. So yeah. And, and, and he's very, very nice. He's like, however you want to use me, go right ahead. He doesn't care what I say, but I don't have to make it up because uh, he's very, <laughs> he's very funny. Now I understand that somehow he got talked into um, a sex study that you guys participated in. And how did you do that? How did you pull that one off? Well, I said to him, because um, this was, a, the researcher was in London at a university in London, right? And, and he had this ultrasound, like four dimensional, he'd make like an ultrasound little movie in 3D. It was kind of a cool technology. And he was going mm. and he would, it's kind of a long story, but I said, well, I would like to be there when you do this research because it's very rare that anybody brings a couple into a lab to have sex to do any kind of research at all. And he said, well, um, we're having difficulty finding subjects. So if your organization can provide volunteers, I'd be happy to, uh, to do this. And so my organization called its husband. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and what I said, I said, you know how you said you haven't been to Europe in a long time? Why don't we go? We can go. We can go see some. We go to London. We can see some plays on the West End. We have to have sex in front of a guy with an ultrasound machine. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing he, you say yes to. And then, like, the day comes and you're like, oh. <laughs> oh my god what have we gotten ourselves into so uh that was the uh that was a pretty that was pretty weird you can read all about it in bonk <laughs> yeah gotcha. yeah that was an afternoon to forget <laughs> oh, <God. sighs>
Well, as long as there's no video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what there was? They did for a while, the little grainy Ford, that little, you know, that they took just they put in the ultrasound wand right up to my belly. Mm -hmm. uh, that footage for a while was somewhere on the, I mean, it's so grainy and it's like a second and a half. It's mm -hmm. like very G-rated, X-rated <laughs> material. <laughs> right. So that, uh, that, yeah, but no, nobody was, I hope nobody was filming. <laughs> but it sounds like yeah. everything else was probably worth it. It was, oh, it was definitely worth it for how much fun it was to write it up. And it's a really fun, because it was so, such a surreal, bizarre experience. So it was definitely worth it for me, maybe not for him. And, and you got to do all the other things that you mentioned too, though, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's all, it's all good. And it, you know, sometimes he would come to the book talks that I would do about that book, and I would make him stand up, and everybody would applaud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes people would ask him for his autograph. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, like I don't care about her. You, I want your autograph. <laughs> yeah. So, so looking right. back, does does your career look like it like you thought it would look? No, because I had no clue what my career was going to look like. I, you know, I graduated from college and I, I didn't really think about it. I was like, well, I'll find some job. I don't know. So I, I had no sense of what I was going to do. And I started out as a copy editor, you know, cleaning up articles and and I was I'm not good at that because I'm not very detail minded you know you have to be very detail minded to be like oh this is capitalized differently in chapter eight than it was in chapter two like I, I'd be like ah, yeah who cares <laughs> <laughs> so it was not a good career for me so I so I just kind of you know gradually moved from one thing to the next I did a little bit of um public relations work for the San Francisco Zoo. And again, is not something I'm very good at because I'm not good at spinning things, you know, like somebody from the press called and said, we heard that the cheetah was sucked dry by ticks. And instead of denying it, you know, as a good publicity person, I, you know, do damage control and mm -hmm. spin things. I didn't do that. I was just like, whoa, how, how many ticks do you think that would take let's figure that out how much tick in one blood <laughs> how much blood in a cheetah that's fascinating and my boss would be like what are you doing <laughs> just say it's not true you know so i'm terrible i was terrible at public relations mm. so uh you know i eventually thought well maybe just writing articles and i did that for mm. 10 15 years before i started writing books so um i i didn't see any of it honestly, because mm -hmm. I really didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated. I never really thought about, <laughs> really thought about it. Yeah, kind of amazing. Did you have something like No, I, I didn't have anything. So I just think it's got to be pretty exciting. I mean, you've got probably stories upon stories to share with folks and, and you've just, you know, accumulated so much knowledge over the years. I, I think it's got to be you know, pretty exciting to be, be able to put that, you know, in writing to share with other people. Do you feel like the, that, um, apart from the accolades of people enjoying your writing, do you feel that they've grown as individuals from reading your work? 
I think with some, some books, in, like in particular, Stiff, that was a book about cadaver research and some of the kind of important things that have happened because people donated their their bodies for research or education. And um, I think that that one, because, uh, and I encourage, you know, encourage people to do that, but also because it talked about what happens after you die, um, uh, people found it, people who had just lost somebody sometimes would write to me and say that the book was sort of strangely comforting in that it just it kind of made death more like a part of life, just sort of a, another stage. And, and because it talked about, you know, something positive can come from, um, from a death when, when, you know, when if you, you make organs available for transplant and, and save two or three other lives, it's like this kind of lovely, positive thing that comes out of death. And so people would write to me about that. And that, that was kind of gratifying because I wasn't sure how people would take that book because it is, kind of, you know, it's kind of a funny book, you know, funny haha, which is I thought might be people might find it disrespectful, but they, but they, you know, they would or be uncomfortable with that tone. Um, but, but I didn't, I didn't find that. And I've gotten some really nice notes or from like a, somebody will come up to me at a reading and say, well, I'm, I'm in my first year residency at this hospital. And, and I got interested in medicine because I read your book in high school because stiff gets um, on the, it's on the reading list in high school in a lot of high schools. So that's, that's been really nice. You know, I think that that book for sure, I don't know if all of them uh, ha had that effect. I mean, I think sometimes they're just a, a fun read for people and they learn a little bit. So that's always good. Well, I'm going to say I learned a lot. So uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Warren. Well, I was just going to ask, um, have you gotten much response from the animal rights people as far as the stuff you've written about the uh, animals? No, I, no, I haven't. I, I think, uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything in the book that would, that would anger them. You know, I think I make a case for people trying to be a little nicer to animals or, and oh, yeah. try to try to figure out um, ways to prevent these conflicts from happening. So the, the animals don't end up getting killed. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't, I haven't actually heard any uh, thing from them. I don't know whether that it would be of interest to them, but um yeah, well, no, I, I haven't would support you. I yeah. mean, it's positive. Yeah, I, I would think so. I haven't. I I know I haven't heard any. I haven't heard from anybody in you know particularly identifying themselves that way. But the, you know, the book just came out on the Tuesday, so right, right. Yeah, well, it'll be good to know. So yeah, how, how many more books do you think see, you have yeah. in there? Oh gosh, well I'm 62, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> At least, at least one, at least one. I know. At least I don't oh, know. What I mean, you know. I don't You're know. working I, on. I, I have. A, well, I'm working on the proposal. Yep. Oh, yep. Cool. So, yeah. I don't know how to do anything else, and I think I'd be terrible at retirement. You know, I'm not. I don't have. Um, my husband's got all kinds of hobbies. You know, he builds things. He does art. He's got. You know, he likes to go to museums. He's got. Mm. He always has a full day because uh, he's retired, and. Uh, I just think I'd be like, Ooh, what do I do? <laughs> I just think I'd, I wouldn't be very good at it. So um, I think I'll keep going for a while anyway, as long as, I, as, long as my body holds out, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's getting to be those years, you know, where things start to fall apart. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I could share some of that bit. with you. Keep moving, that's the key. Huh? Yeah, I know how that goes. <laughs> 
Well, let me ask you. Just out of curiosity, what? Oh, no, go ahead, Lynn. Just out of curiosity. Okay. Just out of curiosity, what type of work did your husband retire from? Uh, he worked for the newspaper here uh, in, in San Francisco Chronicle. He okay. worked in the art department, uh, doing okay. illustration and uh, layout and design. Yeah, okay. he worked uh, there for 20, 30, 30 years. Yeah, quite a while. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm going to make this my last question and give everybody one last question. And we're going to get out here. And thank you very much for your time. Um, you have six um, bestsellers. Um, most people don't like to highlight the things in your life in their life that didn't go well. But do you have a book that didn't? I mean, you know, what is it? Do you have a book that didn't go? You know, bestseller that. <laughs> um, yes, there's a book that um, all my books by by W. W. Norton have all been bestsellers. Um, but there was a book that was a collection of my Reader's Digest columns that was put out without, I mean, I didn't own the rights to those columns. So they just decided we're going to put this book out. I had no input at all into that. I mean, it's fine that they put the column out. You know, uh, I wasn't too thrilled with the cover. But anyway, um, they so they put that out and they sell it through their website. I don't think they promoted it in other ways. And it, you know, it has sold some copies, but it's certainly not, not a bestseller. And it was, I wasn't involved in the promotion or anything like that. It was just sort of, they let me know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to put your columns in a collection and put it out. And, uh, my agent wasn't thrilled with that for various reasons, but sure. so yeah, that one, it wasn't a bad experience. Uh, it was because it didn't require any extra work. I'd already written all those columns. So you know, it was icing on the cake. It was fine, but that that one certainly was not a bestseller. Yeah, hmm. it's still out there. It's uh, it's still on Amazon. You know, it's a they're <laughs> they're fun columns. You know, it's the kind of goofy column. Was, and if you want to, you know, if uh, you want to experience the the joys of my husband Ed, he's in every single column. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any any last questions, uh, Leonard or Warren? Nope. That's it for me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. It has oh, it's been yeah. so fun, you guys. It's we thank you so, very so much. much fun. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank, thank you for thank having you me on. Much. I just enjoyed the crap out of it. Really fun. <laughs> just super fun. And, and so, um, really uh, appreciate appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. So we're going to we look forward to that one more book. On. We're going we're gonna to look forward to that one more book. And, yes. and definitely <laughs> we'll try to, to get you back on and have, have you tell us about it. Well, I hope so. That'd be good. I look forward to that. So I want to thank everybody for joining us this afternoon. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, make sure you tune in from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time and have a great day. Of Altitude Adjustment. And thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and Twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website the lion's den stl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as always, 
look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.